0: Welcome to the CityGate Church Podcast. Today's message was recorded at our live Sunday services, and we hope that it encourages you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So I want to ask you, and I need your help on this, what makes a good film? And feel free to shout out. If you're upstairs or online, obviously you can't, but what makes a good film? Dwayne, anything? Drama? Unexpected? Suspense? Good actors? Good actors? Soundtrack, very nice, okay. Plot twist, characters, good story. There are so many things that you can include, so many things that you can exclude about what makes a good story. It's so personal, right? It's down to our individual taste. We need to go right back to the start, though, okay? I want us to think about the story structure. Even before you get to the characters, before you get to any of the people that might be in this, we want to talk about the story structure, right? And there are so many. I don't know if you guys are familiar with story structures, but there's the hero's journey. Hopefully, we've got a slide for this. The hero's journey is one of the classics. You know, you might think about um, the Star Wars movie, right? Luke Skywalker, his call to adventure, supernatural aid, crossing, all this sort of stuff. The Little Mermaid, perfect. Call to adventure, supernatural, <laughs> right? There's uh, the Fichtean curve, there's the story circle. There are so many different structures to stories that that, that you can have. With Batman as our theme, we're going to explore a story structure that involves three aspects. And I actually have to credit my brother with this. I had never seen this, never considered this, but I, I want to credit him with this. And it's going to revolve around three things. It's going to revolve around the problem, the location, or in this case, locations, and a vessel. Okay, so problem, locations, vessel. And we're going to have Batman as our theme, okay? Are you guys excited to get into this? This is going to be good. So we're going to pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are the author, you are the finisher, you're the perfecter of our faith. Father God, I thank you that we can rely on you. Lord, when everything else seems lost, when everything else seems to be shaken and taken away, Lord God, we can rely and we can stand on you. God, I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your Holy Spirit to inspire me today to speak a word of truth and of life, Lord God, that would shape hearts and shape lives, God, and that we would all receive something from you today. Amen. Amen. Let's watch the screens for a quick clip. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty exciting. It's quite a typical end to a film. Batman realises his laryngitis is out of control. The doctors can't fix it. He's done. He's off. And it's quite a common ending, right? You've all seen it. The superhero takes it upon themselves, sacrifices themselves for the world. But there's actually quite a lot more going on here that I want to unpack. And we're going to use this structure. Problem, location, vessel. And we're actually going to go through a couple of the movies. We're not going to show loads of clips for all of it because we don't have time. But here we have the problem, right? We have a nuclear bomb, we have the locations, right? There's a place for the community. There's Gotham, and there's a place far away from them, the ocean, in other films it's the wilderness, okay? Uh, And that's where he takes the bomb out to. And then we have the vessel, which is Batman. So he's the one that takes the problem away from the people, and he is the vessel, okay? The same thing happens in a slightly different way in the second Batman movie. In this trilogy, right? The Dark Knight. In this movie, we've got different characters, including the Joker and a city prosecutor called Harvey Dent. He gets chosen to be the city prosecutor because he has a completely unblemished record, he has the highest morality, he has the best prosecution rate of anybody in Gotham. He is he's the guy. However, things don't quite go to plan in that movie. Harvey and his girlfriend, a girl called Rachel, are captured and held hostage by the Joker. And Batman only has time to save one of them, The Hero's Dilemma, another classic in the the story structure. And Batman is actually forced to choose Dent, Harvey Dent, despite actually being in love with Rachel as his normal self, Bruce Wayne. So Harvey Dent survives, but he's badly disfigured. He's left bereft with grief and anger and sadly actually ends up becoming corrupted by the Joker and turns into the villain Two-Face because of his disfiguration. So, in this movie, the problem was corruption, right? That was the issue here. The location this time is actually a little bit bit deeper, a little bit more symbolic. The location is Harvey Dent, right? He is symbolic of Gotham, a community that has corruption right at its very center, at its core. And the problem, obviously, of corruption, although it's not as explosive as a nuclear bomb, in the third film is just as deadly and just as dangerous. So how does Batman in this instance remove the problem from the community? How does he take it away? Well, he's made a social outcast. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. I don't want to spoil it for you. But he's shunned by Commissioner Gordon and all the police force. And he takes their blames. He takes their crimes that that Two-Face committed. He basically says that it was all him. He gets chased out the city by the people that he was there to save and to protect and, and to trust. Carrying Harvey Shames Dent with him. So, I want to make three very, very simple points. We're going to keep referring back to this structure of problem, locations, and vessel, but I have three really, really simple points. Point number one, our sin is covered. So, I want to talk, using this structure, top question is obviously, where's the Bible in all of this? And I'm going to get to it. We're going to get into it from the Old Testament. So, in Genesis, chapter 6, verse 14, God is talking to Noah. Anybody heard of Noah? Yeah. Right. Noah was talking with God in Genesis 6:14 about creating a vessel to hold the law, which was God's presence at the time. And he says, "Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch." We're going to come back to that point At the end of this first point but i just want to get into a little bit of this because i absolutely love the way the bible's put together the hebrew word for cover is kafar it's in the old testament 102 times kafar cover 102 times this is the only time in the entire bible that it's translated cover the only time nearly every other time that word kafar is translated atonement so this basically is the Hebrew word. The, the, the Jewish people that wrote this at the time would have known that this effectively was the Hebrew word for atonement. God wanted to be near his people. God still wants to be near his people. The word atonement, let's just break it down, at one meant right? meant meaning with in that instance. So at one with. But the problem, we've got the vessel, the problem was sin, God is without sin. He cannot mix with sin. I always remember in in Academy, shameless plug, Pastor Julian would talk about oil and water. You can put them together, you can shake them up, but they will always separate. God cannot be in, with, next to, or around sin. He is completely sinless. So he got his people to create the Ark of the Covenant, the vessel. Now, I said I was going to come back to a point. He said create the Ark and cover it inside and out. God was showing us, he was showing his people that his presence, the ark, comes with atonement. It comes with covering. If you're making notes, point number one, our sins are covered. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they sinned? What was the first thing they did? They covered themselves. They covered themselves, and they didn't do a particularly good job. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They tried to atone. They tried to cover for their sins themselves. God comes along. Do you remember what God did? Do you remember what he did in verse 21? Verse 21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics. He made coverings of skin, and he clothed them. That word tunics there is the Hebrew word coverings. Blood had to be shed by God to make their coverings. We'll come back to that at the end of the message as well. So here's something that we need to understand, and this is a big one. Only God can cover sin. Only God can cover sin. You can't do it. I I can't do it. Only God can cover our sin think how many times i don't know about you but i know of times that i've done stuff wrong that i have tried to cover up myself when actually only god can come along and truly cover it up now back to the point that i raised at the start of this i said i was going to go back to it when god is speaking to noah he says and i really want you to get this i love i love this he says i want you to cover the ark inside and out here's the reason It means that God is covering my sin, both what I've done and what I've thought. He's covering my outside actions, my transgressions. He's covering my inside motivations, my iniquities. Iniquity is inward motivation. Transgression is outward movement, right? So in other words, you might have lusts in your heart. You might have sinful thoughts. You might have hateful thoughts in you but you might never move on them outwardly that would be the transgression the outward would be the transgression like to step over transgress like to trespass right to step over into inward iniquity outer transgression see how thorough god was with this what does it say in isaiah 58 says he was bruised for our iniquities he was wounded for our transgressions. I said before that the covering that God made involved bloodshed. Bruising is inward bleeding. It's internal bleeding. So he was hurt inside to cover our inside sin. He was hurt outside to cover our outside sin. Another reason that I love this is because sin almost always, if not always, brings shame. The first thing. That Adam and Eve felt when they ate the fruit, they realized, they tried to cover themselves, they felt shame. Yeah. So God immediately comes in and says, I need to cover you. Yeah. I need to cover you. Yeah. Yeah. Then he doubles down on this with, when he gets to Noah. And he says, you make sure, Noah, that you atone the ark. You cover the ark. And I'm going to use this word atonement because I'm going to teach my people yeah. what atonement is it means to cover but i want you to cover it inside and outside i love this not only does he cover my sin but he covers my shame that's good news that is good news point number 2 i told you this was simple Are you following me so far point number 2 our sin is removed our sins are not just covered now, they're removed. And this is where Batman comes in slightly. See, if God were to just cover up our sin, we couldn't truly become one with him as he originally intended. Remember my oil and water example that I've shamelessly stolen from Academy that you should sign up for? Imagine if you had a jar of oil and water and you got a cover that could, no light could shine through it and you chucked it over. What would you have under the blanket? Oil and water. To become one with God, he's actually got to remove our sins. So this word atonement, as I said, right, it's used 102 times in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 16, where we're going to turn now, it's used 13 times just in one chapter. I think God wants to tell us something in Leviticus. And I think, personally, it is one of the best representations of our sin being covered and then our sin being removed. So a bit of backstory, okay? Okay. Uh, When Noah and the children of Israel created the Ark of the Covenant, this was God's presence, and it would travel everywhere with them. And they would carry it from place to place because God's presence within them, it was amongst them, it would travel with them. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Uh, There was one time when they were walking along and the Ark of the Covenant went to fall or was about to fall or so one of the guys thought, and he went to steady it and stable it, and he touched it when he wasn't meant to, and he he died, right? The presence of God was a big deal, and, and the children of Israel knew this. So God tells Aaron, the high priest, and he's talking in the context here of atonement, and he says, take two goats. I need you to take two goats. One of them is going to be a sacrificial goat. It's going to die. You're going to kill it. The other one is going to be a scapegoat. Okay, you've probably heard the term scapegoat. If you say it quickly, it's like escape goat, right? It's the one that escapes. It's the one that gets away. And the etymology of the word is tricky there because it's the word escape and they use the goat. So that's how they got to the word scapegoat. Sin was a barrier to fellowship with God. So God gave a sacrificial system, right? A removal system within the law. He built it into the law. Now, I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this, but I was Googling. I was dictionarying. And one of the meanings of the word sacrifice, the word sacrifice can be used in different contexts, different ways. As a noun, the word sacrifice actually means to bring near. I never knew that. So sacrifice means to bring near, to draw near. So we've got the scapegoat and we've got the sacrificial goat and we've got God showing us that he would cover the sin problem and he would remove the sin problem, so that the worshipper could be brought near and into fellowship with God. Let's jump into Leviticus, like I said. Leviticus 16 verse 21. Aaron, the high priest, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. I love this. Get this. Confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, covering all their sins, putting them putting the sins of the people on the head of the goat and shall send it out into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. So here's what God is saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not just going to cover your sin, but I'm going to remove your sin as well because I cannot have a relationship with you, the one that I desperately want. I want at one moment with you, but I cannot deal with the sin that's in your life, and you can't deal with the sin in your life. You can't do it, so I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to take that sin. I'm going to cover that sin, and I'm going to remove that sin from your life. Super simple, point number three. God replaced the goat with the goat. I don't know if you guys are familiar, street slang, I'm I'm all down with that. Goat stands for greatest of all time. In street slang, the goat is the greatest of all time. God replaced a goat with the goat. He wants fellowship with his people. He gave Israel the law which revealed his perfect but completely unattainable standards. He knew that we would break the law. He knew that we would sin and that God's justice requires that sin be punished. In fact, actually, the law was given to reveal sin and its consequences. That's why the Bible is very clear. That's why the law was given, to reveal sin and its consequences. And in the Old Testament, right, the sacrifice of an innocent animal was there as a substitute. And it taught man that the penalty of sin was death. Right? That's, that's what they understood. They got it. You do something wrong, blood has to be shed in order for that to be dealt with. But also that the blood of an innocent one could die to take that sinner's place and thus make atonement, right, at one moment. So the sacrifice takes this person's place as a substitution and pays the price for sin. Once justice was served... God was free to bless and have relationship and engage with and have at one moment with this individual. So this was the only way for the sinner, for you, for me, to enter into God's presence was through the blood of a substitute. Yeah. Hebrews 9, 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So back to the goat, right? The goat. This was the day of atonement. May, you may have heard of Yom Kippur, if you've heard of that, right? This is in Leviticus chapter 16. This was the most solemn feast day of the year. It didn't get any bigger than this for the children of Israel. And here's why. Because God had built into the system of sacrifices a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that transcended all other sacrifices throughout the year. So, I don't know how familiar you are with the sacrificial system. I'm not going to go through all of it, but if you did one sin, you'd sacrifice a pigeon. If you did a different sin, you'd sacrifice a heifer, If you did, and so on and so forth. And bear in mind, these sacrifices were public, and everybody knew what the system was. So let's say Muggins over here has done something he shouldn't have done. He brings his pigeon, gets sacrificed, and everyone goes, ooh, you see that? <laughs> know what he's been up to, naughty boy. People knew. There was shame around sin, right? The system was there as an escape mechanism because God knew we were going to mess up. But ultimately, it wasn't all that great. You still walked in there with your heifer going, yeah, it's me again. (laughs) So he's built in. And then on the Day of Atonement, right? The Day of Atonement comes around, Yom Kippur. It was the only day of the year. This is how big the Ark of the Covenant was. It's the only day of the year that the high priest, was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies without dying. Yeah. They, every, basically, even on that day, just in case he hadn't atoned properly, they would tie a rope around his waist, he'd be covered in, be- in bells like Santa, and he'd walk in there, and if the bells stopped jingling, they knew to start dragging, because he was dead, right? It was the only day of the year that the man could go in to the Holy of Holies, to the place where God was, where they could be at one with God. Aren't you grateful we do not have an Ark of the Covenant now? So on this day, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, all of the sin for the whole year would be atoned. It would be forgiven by the sacrifice of one goat and by the casting out of the other, the scapegoat. But they still had to do it every single year, right? Right? They had done daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, like a tax return. They had done their sacrifices, and it wasn't enough. Hebrews puts it this way, and this is long, but I really need you to go with me on this because it's deep. Hebrews 10, 4, 15 it's going to be up on the screens. Don't bother trying to write the notes because it's long. Just copy the verse. Hebrews 10, 4, 15 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Not possible. Therefore, when he, that's Jesus, came into the world, he said to God, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it's written of me, Jesus, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had any pleasure in them which are according to the law, right? It's all good. It's all there in the law, but it's not good enough. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And then this is Paul writing about Jesus. says, he, Jesus, takes away the first. He's taken away the law that he may establish the second. We're going to get into the second in a minute, guys. By that, the second, by the second, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, this Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering... One offering. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus was the ultimate scapegoat. And he is the ultimate author of this story structure. Problem, locations, vessel. The problem was the sin of the world. The locations, heaven, hell, and earth. And the vessel, was the greatest of all time, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. Even the location here is amazing, right? I said we were going to keep to, to this structure. The location. Can you guys chuck this up on the screen? Right, the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified in Golgotha. Look at the location. Does that look inside or outside the city limits to you? Outside. outside. God knew God planned this all from the beginning. The author and finisher of our faith understood that in order for this to ring true with the rest of the Bible, he would need to be shunned. He'd need to be cast out like the scapegoat, driven out and paying the ultimate price, carrying our sin and carrying our shame, not just covering it, but removing it once and for all. The Day of Atonement was established to settle matters for the people of Israel, but they had to do it every single year. And it couldn't possibly cover off their sins fully. Hopefully, I really hope, I've been really deliberate on this, you will note that every time I have referred to sin in this preach, it's been in the past tense. Sin was the problem. It was. But it isn't the issue anymore. It is not the thing holding us back anymore from fellowship with God. It was dealt with once and for all. I said that sacrifice can be translated as to bring close. Jesus came and made the ultimate sacrifice to bring us near to God and to deal with the sin of all humanity, once and for all. There's no, no more need for sacrifice. There's no more barrier. There's nothing standing between you and God any longer. There's no need for an ark. His presence no longer needs to be contained in a box that you can only go in once a year if you're the one man without dying. Perhaps you've never thought about this, but there is nothing that you can do in order to get yourself closer to God other than by accepting the fact that you're far from him. That's it. It's really, really simple. And I want to invite you now. Perhaps you have never really considered this. Maybe you think and you feel that you're super far from God, that there's this enormous gulf between him and you because you know from your childhood that God's up here and you're down here. Can I say that Jesus came to level the playing field? He came and he played a full round of golf alongside you, and you suck at golf. And at the end of the game, he's not just got par, but he's got holes in one on every single hole. He has the world's biggest handicap if you're into golf. You know what I'm talking about. And at the end of the game of golf, on the championship podium, he nudges you and goes, here's my scorecard, you have this one. I'll take yours, I'll take that. He pockets it and you get to go up on the podium where Jesus died. He has made a way for us. He's made a way to the Father. Perhaps you've never thought about this. Perhaps you've never considered it, but there is a way for you to get right with God, to have atonement with God, to have at one with God. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you made a way. I thank you that we can stand here knowing that you are the greatest of all time, that you lead us in triumphal procession through your blood that was shed for us. Father God, for those here that feel that they're far from you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal through your spirit just how close you are. And if that is you today, if that's how you feel, if that's how you think, perhaps you're concerned that you're far from God or you know that you're far from God, I wanna give you an opportunity right now to get closer to Him, to get the closest you possibly can be with Him. And that is at complete oneness. He didn't just send His Son, Jesus, but He sent His Holy Spirit as well to lead us, to guide us, to prompt us. But if that's you today and you know that you're far from God, Perhaps you've never even acknowledged God and Jesus as the greatest of all time. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to acknowledge that now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more radical than to raise your hand, but I would really love to see that. And I'm going to pray with you. So perhaps that's you today, or maybe you have felt that you're far from God. Maybe you you know that Jesus is there, maybe you know that the Holy Spirit's there, but you feel that from the things that you've done, you're far from God. Well, can I say that's not what the Bible teaches? That's not what the Bible says. It says there's nothing, not height nor depth, angels nor demons, nothing in the universe can separate us from the love of God. So right now across this place, with every eye closed, with every head bowed, I'm going to invite you to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time, that he's made a way where no one else could do it. And if you wanna to respond to Jesus now, please do just raise your hand. Three, two, one, now. Thank you, I see that hand at the back there. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Last chance. Once I've seen your hand, feel free to put it down, But. I'm gonna pray now, Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you made a way for us, Lord God, where nothing else would work. You knew right the end from the beginning. And even, even in the law, you made ways out for us, God. Ways out that we didn't deserve, but we desperately needed. And Father God, I thank you that you made a way once and for all by sending your son, Jesus, to die in our place, to take our scorecard, Lord God, to trade places with us. We deserved sin. We deserved the grave, Lord God, but you took it in our place. And I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for these people today who have been bold enough to acknowledge you, to accept you, Lord God. I pray that you would enter their hearts, Father. And I pray for strength in their lives as we support them on this journey with you. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said amen. Come on, let's celebrate with our brothers and sisters.